Welcome back to Stream Again, the podcast that rummages to fruition all around the TV and streaming universe every episode, so you don't have to. Uh, we're your hosts, the disgusting brothers themselves, Chris Barlow and Diane Nora. How you doing, Diane? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm rummaging around my ludicrously capacious bag right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well done. Well done. For all sorts of streaming goodies. And we have so many goodies to dish out of our um, spacious, enormous bags this week because uh, we have corporate drama, real-life corporate drama from Disney and Marvel, and fictional corporate drama uh, from the likes of the Bluth Ostero Company and, of course, Waystar Royco. We're going to talk about the season premiere of Succession on HBO and HBO Max, and we're going to discuss the future of beloved media brands such as Hulu and ATN. One of them sounds fake, uh, but is real, and the other sounds real, but is fake. I love the streaming universe. Oh, so do I, though I'm not sure I would go so far as to call ATN beloved. Beloved by some, reviled by others. Isn't that just the case when you're a character or, um, you know, fictional entity on succession? Oh boy, here we go, season four. I cannot wait to talk about it, but first, but first, we have to get through some follow-up, uh, beginning with a show that has succession-like numbers. Uh, that's my transition to talk about Yellow Jackets on Showtime. You know, uh, this is follow-up to me because we have recently spent a lot of time discussing uh, perhaps the demise of Showtime, the impending doom at Showtime. Showtime now, of course, officially to be referred to as Paramount Plus with Showtime even if you are just referring to the cable network Showtime, make no mistake, you're supposed to call it Paramount Plus with Showtime. Uh, but Showtime, Yellow Jackets, I'm a huge fan, and the season two opener uh, got two million or nearly two million uh, viewers, and that is literally succession level numbers. Uh, real impressive. Very exciting. And uh, that is a 110% increase from the series premiere in November 2021 a 40% jump from the season one finale. I also think this is just getting great social media buzz. Yeah, I, you know, I was thinking, you know, Succession and Yellow Jackets have a real similar uh, place as weekly shows that are kind of soapy. So they're really social media friendly. They're water cooler friendly. You want to be caught up with them so that you can t be in the discussion week to week about them. And it's partly the week to week format. And it's partly that they're both real soapy shows like Yellow Jackets is not subtle. But that's why I love Yellow Jackets. Agreed. I also wonder if Melanie Linsky's appearances on The Last of Us has helped boost their numbers here because people are, you know, recently reminded of how wonderful she is. Um, you know, they may have been fans for years, but like, oh, right, Melanie Linsky. I love her. I better tune in every week. The more time you spend with Yellow Jackets, the more you go, oh, Oh, Christina Ricci, I love her. Oh, oh, you say that... Juliette Lewis. Juliette Lewis, I love her. This season, we're getting Elijah Wood as well. So, you know, uh, I, the show that keeps on giving. Uh, do you watch? I'm still on season one. That's okay. Season one's fantastic. I'm so happy you're going on that journey. I just started recently because I was like, I need to catch up by the time season two starts, and I missed my deadline, as I am wont to do. As it happens, but don't worry, it's weekly, so you can still get caught up. That's what I love about a weekly show. Speaking of shows that we've talked about in the past uh, that aired on Showtime, back when it was still called Showtime, do you remember our sixth episode of Stream Again, where we reviewed Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber? I do. So many moons ago. So very many moons ago. Uh, and so many Peacock pivots ago, because our next piece of follow-up is, of course, about Peacock. Uh, back then, we discussed their last big news pivot when they replaced something called The Choice, that's according to my notes from episode six, with uh, the MSNBC hub on Peacock, which is just a great name that I'm sure inspired uh, Paramount Plus with Showtime. Uh, just the more words that, that are there, the more the consumer will think they're getting value. Words equal value, right? That's Absolutely. apparently, yeah, the, the branding advice. Uh, well, you know, the MSNBC hub on Peacock is not MSNBC, to be clear. And, you know, a lot of people want to stream live news. And it seems Peacock is now maybe beginning to pick the hint here, uh, because they're offering two of their most popular morning shows, one from MSNBC, one from CNBC, 
uh, free, so to speak, for existing Peacock subscribers. That would be a Morning Joe and Squawk Box. Who doesn't love Morning Joe and Squawk Box? Well, to be quite honest, I don't love Morning Joe and Squawk Box, but I am very excited about this news. Tell me why. I, I, okay, sure. Maybe they're not my top choices either. Uh, but I, I would if they picked perhaps a different pair of shows, tune in. Oh, sure. I, I don't think I'll be tuning in, but I do think it is an important step in the move away from the cable bundle supremacy. The Cable Bundle Supremacy. We're going to talk more about that a little later, I think, and how uh, perhaps Comcast, parent company of NBC, uh, might have some interest there. Uh, The other little note on this that I thought was so cute, because I got an email from Peacock alerting me to this exciting new news, is that uh, if I subscribe to Peacock Premium Plus, their top tier, uh, I can also stream Hoda on today. Look at that. Synergy. You got to pay up for Hoda. Understandable. She's worth it. Truly, truly. I actually think it's a smart upsell. Uh, And so that is a little bit of shifting sands in the uh, streaming news universe. But, you know, we have even more long-term 2022 follow-up to get to. And this will uh, begin to touch on uh, one of our largest topics this week. The drama at Disney. There you go. Uh, But first, some follow-up on uh, the ongoing dispute between Disney and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis over the Don't Say Gay legislation. You may remember that back in the day, uh, Ron DeSantis and the Republican government in Florida decided to strip Disney of their uh, special administrative board that runs the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which you better know as Disney World. Uh, And so that that finally actually went through uh, very recently in March. uh, The new a DeSantis-appointed board took over for the previous Disney-appointed board, except they discovered a a, a bit of a twist when they uh, held their first meeting. Is that uh, correct, Diane? Oh, yeah. This is one of my favorite news stories in some time. I never thought I'd be cheering for for one of our bobs quite like this. I know. This spans the bobs. This was a story that began under the previous bob when the previous bob uh, botched Bob's response to Don't Say Gay. Uh, And then the new bob is in charge now, and the new bob is dealing with the fallout. Of course, to be clear, the new bob is also the OG original bob, but we'll talk more about the bobs later. Uh, What's happening with current bob? I'm going to do my best to explain this right. They realized that in the contract, uh, Disney actually still has control over Disney World uh, through a clause in the contract that gives them control until 21 years after the death of the current English monarch, King Charles. Even better, the last survivor of the descendants of King Charles. I have oh, so even longer. Y- yes, and apparently this is not an unusual legal term, uh, to, a, a royal death clause, when you're trying to pick a date far, far in the future, essentially in perpetuity, but uh, the law does not like the phrase in perpetuity. Uh, and so you, you do this unusual 21 years after the death of the last survivor, of the descendant of insert current monarch here. Uh, that is perhaps the most important value the English monarchy gives to us today, apparently. Uh, but what, what I think is so funny about this is this was new language uh, introduced in a meeting that the outgoing board held in February, just like as if they held a normal meeting. And in the normal meeting, they went, uh, we have some new legislation to pass. That legislation uh, dissolves all of our power and gives it to Disney until 21 years after the death of the last survivor, the descendant of King Charles III, King of England. All in favor? And, and they just passed it. And and so the new board is trying to undo it, but it, it all seems Disney has released a statement saying this was all done on the up and up. Uh, it, we just didn't invite you. We didn't make noise about it, which is the the true dramatic irony. As fans of the drama, the true dramatic irony here is how do you fight a very noisy opponent, especially in in the public relations war of politics? You do it real quietly, but in plain sight. And you make him look so foolish. Even more foolish than those big white boots. (laughs) You know, uh, all of this is to say, you really need to watch yourself around a man known as Bob Iger. You might say Bob Iger is... The Logan Roy of the media world. 
I, I mean of the real media world. Logan Roy is the Logan Roy of the media world. But but you hear me out. We are talking about the real-life succession story at Disney. Bob Iger is fully in charge of the new Bob era. And, and again, as a brief reminder, Bob Iger was in charge of Disney for a very long time. And then he picked a new Bob, Bob Chapek, to replace him, uh, also known as the Bald Bob. Uh, Bald Bob had a rocky run, let's say, and was ousted last fall to bring back original Bob, Bob original flavor, to navigate the company through what is, uh, many people would say, a difficult economic time right now, especially for streaming. And streaming happens to be the future at Disney. They, They are still all in on that. But they are not all in on everything that used to be in the future. Um, And so we're going to run through some business news at Disney. But a lot of it touches, I think, on some uh, interesting personnel shifts that will ultimately affect the art they produce. Uh, So to start, uh, layoffs. Layoffs are the thing that many companies are doing right now. Uh, And so uh, Disney is going through three rounds of layoffs. They've done round one of three, which just feels like a sick reality show that should be streamed on Hulu because I would watch it. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's being um, handled in a particularly humane way. Uh, Once again, bringing to mind uh, the the ruthless roys. no, I agree. I agree. It, it feels a bit um, ominous to say, well, don't don't worry. If you didn't get cut this round, there's two more rounds that you have to worry about. Uh, but what was cut in round one? The metaverse. Disney has just eliminated the entire metaverse division set up under Bob Chapek. So while the future is streaming, the future is apparently not necessarily streaming while wearing goggles, streaming a metaverse appearance of yourself streaming. I think we're seeing these kinds of moves cutting back on uh, metaverse properties across the tech industry. So as much as this does feel like perhaps something personal going on with Bob, I think it's also just a industry trend. Yeah. Uh, But that is not the only big ouster that just happened in this past week. Uh, The other would be a a actual big name personnel shift. Uh, Do you know Ike Perlmutter? Oh, Ike. So Ike has been in the news this year uh, since the, the the changing of the Bobs uh, because <laughs> Ike was a supporter of activist investor Nelson Peltz, who was uh, really a, a big challenger to Iger. So this seems like um, perhaps something personal, though, um, Folks who know of Ike Perlmutter may know that the drama with Ike goes way back. Yeah, so Ike Ike was essentially the person who sold Marvel to Disney in 2009. He he was the man who ran Marvel for years and years, kind of the the uh, Marvel of our youths, which was more a cartoon company that sold action figures uh, versus the Marvel of today. And so essentially when Disney bought Marvel, they said to Ike, you can still work for Marvel. You can still be in charge of Marvel. However, we are going to spin off this thing called Marvel Studios that makes the movies and TV shows. And of course, we all know who's in charge of Marvel Studios. Kevin Feige. And you don't mess with Kevin Feige, unless you happen to think you're in charge of Marvel, which Ike Perlmutter does. And so the, the you know, the lore here is that Ike Perlmutter tried to have Kevin Feige fired when uh, Feige was making the first Doctor Strange movie. Uh, and uh, obviously we know who won that showdown. Uh, that's such an odd story to me because that was a good movie and also kind of a really ascendant era for Marvel. I don't know why you would pick a fight with Kevin Feige in that moment. It sounds like it was a power play. Uh, Also, just not really seeing the direction that media was going at the time. Uh, 2015, we were moving into uh, an era of peak entertainment, spend, 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 um, which is not the one that we're in now. So it is interesting that someone who was being, uh, you know, economical back in 2015 is now being someone cut in 2023. But again, I do think part of this is a a personality play. Yeah, I I look at this and I go, well, we're in the midst of massive layoffs. They definitely want to show that the layoffs are uh, touching every level of the company. You want to show that executives are not immune to the layoffs. Uh, And why not then get rid of one you don't like? Right. 
Uh, but you know, that is not the only big executive at Marvel who has uh, mysteriously been shown the door recently. And this is where things start to get uh, very messy and very mysterious. Uh, there's another Marvel name, Victoria Alonso, from the Marvel Studios side. If you don't know her name, you definitely have seen her work because she has uh, been one of the producers on all of them. Just all of the Marvels. She's been one of Kevin Feige's right-hand people. Yes. Arguably uh, the most successful Latina in the film and TV industry. Yeah, and and currently her remit puts her in charge or put her in charge of the VFX division at Marvel that has seen a lot of pressure and negative press in the last year. So there's also something to be said for her current responsibilities have had her in uh, an area of Marvel that's been struggling more publicly than the rest, let's say. Agreed, agreed. Uh, But Uh, that is not to diminish her long uh, track record with them either, which is one of the things that's been coming out in the statements. Uh, Disney says that she has been let go for violating her contract uh, by basically being a producer on an Amazon Studios movie. Uh, Victoria and her uh, lawyers say that she had permission to do that and that she's being pushed out for being asked to do something, quote, reprehensible. But with no explanation as to what that is, to which then Disney comes back and says, you know, basically, we're so sorry you're mischaracterizing everything and getting it all wrong, but we loved your work and wish you the best and hope that you continue on in your career. Like, such an interesting balancing act of wishing her well, but saying in no uncertain terms that they think she's uh, lying. Well, I mean, they're in the middle of a lawsuit, so... As much as Disney is trying to play this, uh, you know, oh, we're a family-friendly company, it's still a a highly explosive situation. And I think that everyone is going to end up looking worse by the time we find out what's fully happened here. Yeah, yeah, that is probably the most likely outcome is nobody will look good. We'll have to just wait and see more. There really is just a in a lawsuit uh, situation now where they're both going to kind of shut up for a while, I imagine. Uh, but that is not even the uh, most unexpected uh, Disney personnel news this week. Because on top of all of this, as you may have heard in the news, Jonathan Majors, who is the new big bad in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, is uh, was arraigned after being charged with assault. And, and it's a domestic dispute. I don't, I don't really want to get into it itself. Just to say, this is suddenly turned into an extremely tumultuous time uh, at Disney, and in particular at Marvel, which is kind of their crown jewel. We, we've talked in the past about Marvel fatigue. All of this is uh, just further complication in the midst of uh, what seems like a, a challenging transition for the brand. For all we know, they've already plotted out a solution to the challenging transition that we just haven't seen yet. For all we know, this is just noise uh, as far as Kevin Feige is concerned. But it publicly looks like a mess. It does. Part of me wonders if all of this will be swept under the rug uh, in terms of our cultural conversation if uh, the new Guardians movie is a huge success. I think that part of the reason we're seeing all these stories really come out because there's been, you know, chaos at Marvel, but these stories don't necessarily make the news that much is because the products have been bad. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, ultimately, that is the the general gist. Um, We don't have time to get into it as a subtopic, but same can be said for uh, Disney's Star Wars brand right now that a lot of Mm -hmm. people just feel like the problem is the products haven't been very good. Um, and depending on your opinion, haven't been very good for quite a while, with a few exceptions. I, I'm watching the new season of The Mandalorian, and I like it more than the last season, and I like it more than Book of Boba Fett or Obi-Wan Kenobi, but ratings are down. Viewership is down, and it's because there is definitely fatigue across a lot of these franchises, and it just so happens that Disney is the company that bought all the franchises. Right. And those those purchases did happen under Bob Iger. Yeah. So as much as he is cleaning up mess, some messes made by Bob Chapek, he's also cleaning up after himself. Which is why it's so fitting that they brought him back. It really is the kind of corporate boardroom drama we need. It is something that would happen on a show with a theme song like... 
But we're not going to talk about that yet because we have to talk about more drama in the Disney universe. Uh, you know, Marvel is very popular, I'm sure, but no Disney brand is more popular than our beloved Hulu. So things might not be so great at Hulu, actually. Uh, Hulu, of course, uh, kind of Disney's stepchild or half-child that they inherited through uh, purchasing most of Fox. Uh, the other minority stakeholder in Hulu is Comcast, owner, of course, of NBC Universal and Peacock. And there has, uh, ever since the Disney-Fox merger, there's been a ticking time clock. I'm not going to call it a bomb. We don't want to blow up Hulu, but uh Disney might, uh, spoiler alert, uh, because essentially at a certain point uh, in, you know, about a year and change, uh, Disney will have to offer Comcast the option to buy Hulu or sell it to Disney. Uh, and the I think the prevailing wisdom for a while has been that Disney is going to buy the remaining uh, third of Hulu from Comcast. The the for, I, I feel like for months the uh, general assumption was when the time comes, Disney has way more cash to burn and way more of a streaming play, and they'll uh, you know they already uh, own most of the content on Hulu because it's mostly ABC and Fox programming, and so they'll just buy out the rest from Comcast. I feel like that narrative has really shifted in the last few months, uh, and uh, we have a few pieces of evidence to discuss, and then a, a bit of analysis from uh, M.G. Siegler, who writes about the industry, and I think makes some really good points. Uh, so the, the first one is, of course, the biggest news, uh, Arrested Development, which we were tracking. It was going to mm. leave Netflix, and this was a big story because, of course, uh, Netflix rebooted Arrested Development, and the last two seasons are Netflix exclusives. They're Netflix originals. Uh, the original three seasons still belonged to 20th Century, which is part of Disney now, and so those were on Hulu. And uh, the date that uh, Arrested Development was supposed to leave Netflix just came and went, and Arrested Development was still up on Netflix. So people began to wonder what's going on here. And then out of the blue, Netflix announced that they now own all of Arrested Development. They've bought out the the original series from 20th Century, and it's now officially entirely a Netflix original, and it will stay on Netflix and leave Hulu suggesting perhaps that it is the beginning of a fire sale. Like the Flatiron building. Somebody said they're going to buy it and then just never coughed up the cash. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, it looks so good on the outside. And then you kind of poke around and you go, oh, we, we still are airing this. My goodness, the bones in this building. I'm worried. It is interesting because last year, uh, Brian Roberts, the CEO of Comcast, which we've talked about this on the show before, mentioned that he would like to buy Hulu, which is also a possibility here. Um, I, I, you know, I just I always assumed that Comcast would flinch because they have Peacock. And what do you do with Hulu if you're trying to make Peacock happen? Uh, and, you know, like it or not, Peacock is sort of happening. So, I, I, but again, the narrative seems to be shifting. What Disney does not seem interested in maintaining Hulu as a brand. Right. Well, and in a moment when Disney is really pulling back, is cutting costs, it might make sense to sell Hulu, even though Hulu actually makes money. Well, this is what I was going to get to is, you know, Hulu is so complicated because it is actually a successful business on its own, but it is only really a successful business because it has access to Disney and Comcast content. And if they lose access to that content, what they have is basically The Handmaid's Tale and Solar Opposites, uh, a show <laughs> created by Justin Roiland. Great branding for them right now. So, you know, uh, they're, they're even uh, going a step further with what's going on at Hulu. They're the exclusive home of How I Met Your Father, the spinoff reboot of How I Met Your Mother, except Disney is going to try airing that on Freeform in addition to streaming on Hulu, perhaps a, a test balloon to see if some of uh, Hulu's originals can uh, jump ship and then perhaps we sell Hulu for parts. I, I hate it. I hate it. Because then the other side of Hulu's business that might be interesting to Brian Roberts at Comcast is Hulu plus live TV. Because Hulu has kind of evolved into this hybrid service that is a traditional streamer with a catalog and originals and then an over-the-top uh, cable bundle, but not cable, just delivered through the internet. 
Um, and Hulu Plus Live TV is a good package, kind of weird branding, kind of confusing to some people. And in another way, it's just cable. And that that's hard uh, to differentiate yourself, especially when you're competing against cable and also major players in over-the-top streaming like YouTube TV. YouTube TV, yeah, they have the money to pay for uh, 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 Sunday night ticket, Friday night ticket. What's it called? <laughs> the football. NFL Sunday ticket. Thank you. <laughs> they have the money for the football. And, and listen, Disney has the money for the football, but they don't want to spend that on Hulu. They have, they're spending that on ESPN. They're spending that on ABC. They're spending that on Disney+. Plus. You know, at the end of the day, they can't justify that kind of investment in Hulu plus live TV. It makes money, but it doesn't make enough money to make a dent in Disney's bottom line. Right, but they could have made that purchase and try to build up something like ESPN+. Plus. Right. Well, so this gets to this uh, piece from M.G. Siegler that we'll we'll include a link in the show notes. Uh, He calls this Disney's rock and hard place. And he he says the rock is ESPN and the hard place is Hulu. And it's kind of an analysis of here are two assets that are both valuable. They're not garbage by any stretch of the imagination. And they both kind of have a, a legacy brand. ESPN's legacy is obviously enormous. Hulu's legacy is big in the sense that the streaming world has only been around, you know, so long. Uh, And what do you do with them? Do you get rid of both of them? Do you try to make both of them work? Do you have to pick a child and and toss the other one? Um, (laughs) Pick a favorite. Uh, And so the analysis here I thought was interesting, uh, especially because at the end of the day, ESPN has a real bright future, even if its present is complicated, because it's really beholden to cable packages, and you can't just buy ESPN and stream it still. But uh, a lot of people, I think correctly, would say that sports rights is the future of streaming packages right now. It's the next thing that will differentiate your streamer, and it's the biggest thing that is an obstacle for people cutting the cord. So uh, ESPN, worth investing, you know, football money in, literally, whereas Hulu isn't. Right. And a lot of people, even if they watch the games on other uh, channels, distributors, streamers, still go to ESPN for their analysis of those games, for highlights, for other sports-related content that, you know, people just watch all day long. Like, ESPN is keeping all those cable bundles alive right now. It's like the respirator of cable TV right now. Truly, that and uh, live news. And and mm. as we've seen, each you know uh, company is kind of picking the, that bundle apart in their individual way. Peacock with their, their live news uh, buffet and Disney kind of trying to figure out what to do with uh, Hulu and ESPN. The, the argument for Comcast to spend what would be an enormous amount of money buying Hulu is that, you know, Comcast is a cable provider, but they are also fighting the cable cutting trend to have an over-the-top service with a built-in, uh, you know, uh, back-end and install base like Hulu Plus Live TV, maybe you rebrand it and you call it Xfinity Live, Xfinity Plus, Hulu Plus Xfinity with Live TV. You know, add as many words to the name as you need to. I feel like that would be a product that would serve Comcast well. Uh, and then they either keep Hulu because they realize that the Hulu brand is stronger than the Peacock brand, or they, you know, again, pick Hulu apart and they just rebrand it all. I could really see this going either way. I think part of the problem with the sports rights, again, is they're not just competing among media companies. It's not like, can Disney outbid Comcast? It's they have to compete with these major tech companies um, and Amazon YouTube, they can put out a a level of money that Disney in 2023 just doesn't want to spend. Right, which does flip to the argument to sell ESPN, which is still a compelling argument in some ways. It's a really, really valuable asset. You could sell it essentially immediately. There's a a clause with Hulu where they have to wait and offer it to Comcast, uh, and they can't speed that up. But ESPN's been theirs for ages at this point, and there are many companies that would probably want to buy it or investors who would want to invest in an independent ESPN if they wanted to spin it. And that would give them a short-term cash infusion at a time when the company could really use that to invest hard in Disney+. Plus. 
And at the end of the day, if you think, you know, big, big picture like these giant corporations do, Disney Plus is global. And sports is popular everywhere, but very few sports are global. And so sports is a much more complicated piecemeal uh, growth uh, uh, strategy, whereas Disney Plus and, you know, overseas, Disney Plus with Star, Disney Plus with Hot Star, whatever they decide to call that here, whether they borrow the Star branding or they keep Hulu and smush that branding in, or if they just call it Disney Plus, where you can now watch Pam and Tommy, whatever. Uh, th- that brand is ascendant and is Disney's future still, and I think Iger still believes that. And what sacrifices will you make to keep that on track? That's the question. Uh, sacrificing Hulu seems increasingly likely, but I think sacrificing ESPN is still on the table. It, it is, yeah. That's ooh. I also another player could come in and purchase Hulu. Yeah, not like, right they, now. They, they have to offer it to Comcast first, but at the end of the day, there's still a lot of arguments against buying it if you're Comcast. You've spent so much time and money on Peacock, and Peacock is just starting to work. Why would you undermine that by spending a fortune on another seemingly dying streaming brand? It would be a strange choice in a lot of ways. And so maybe, you're right, maybe Comcast passes, and then maybe Warner Brothers finds a way to marshal the money to buy it. Maybe Paramount tries to find a way to buy it. Uh, There's a lot of possibilities there. Yeah, I mean, at Peacock, part of its success, too, has been these streaming rights for the WWE, one of the few sports franchises, if you can call it that, that really does have global power. I think that uh, Peacock is ascendant right now. I I think it's the little streamer that could. Yeah, persistence has really paid off there, and they've they've learned over uh, the several years now. I I think it's really funny, as you bring up the WWE, I remember that Peacock's big launch was the Olympics. They they really thought, oh, everyone's going to sign up to stream the Olympics. And obviously, COVID complicated the timing on that uh, a lot for them. But even when they did finally get the Olympics, they didn't, it wasn't good. (laughs) It was not good on Peacock. They did a bad job with it, and uh, not a lot of people used it to introduce themselves to Peacock and what they learned instead is you have this passionate diehard base in a a, you know an audience like WWE they will struggle with your app while you figure out how to make your app work well and they will follow their content wherever they need to and that's turned into one of their most reliable audiences so again the rights for that are coming up soon so (laughs) anybody's game anybody's game stays are numbered Oh, it's like the Wild West out there. God, it is just so much like the drama at Waystar Royco. I was going to say Stargo, but that's their streaming app that has their own problems. I love everything just has a parallel in succession. Their peacock is Stargo. Comcast, it's Waystar Royco. What is going to happen to the real-life fake streaming universe in succession? We'll have to talk about that when we get to our predictions in this review of Succession. Yes, we are finally talking about uh, the show of the moment. Season four of Succession just premiered last week on HBO and HBO Max. And surprise, it's a hit. I said earlier, two million viewers for Yellow Jackets with Succession-level numbers. Well, here are the numbers for you. Season 4, Episode 1 of Succession, got 2.3 million viewers, of which about 600,000 watched on television. That means uh, over a million and a half tuned in on HBO Max. Great night for HBO Max. Yeah, and uh, I... For one, we'll say I, fo- I found it very satisfying. I'm, I'm glad I tuned in. How did you feel? I am very happy with the season premiere. It had the right balance of Succession's kind of cringe humor and uh, soapy drama, it, but both in a nice uh, pairing, kind of like a nice wine pairing, to put it in, in terms I think uh, Shiv and Tom would enjoy. Agreed. I also, I like that they didn't, there was not really any filler. It was right down to business. Mm-hmm. 
Agreed. Agreed. Uh, lean and mean. And I, I really enjoyed, it just trusted you to get caught up with where they are. A little bit of time has passed since the end of season three. You know, where we left at the end of season three, the Roy children finally came together uh, to try to topple Logan for the final time. Uh, and united, we thought the Roy children would finally pull it off. Only to realize that uh, Siobhan's husband, Tom Wamsgans had betrayed the Roy children because, as Tom put it in perhaps my favorite scene from the show ever, the scene of him and Kendall, uh, when Tom tells Kendall that, and and boy, we are just getting the explicit language flag this week, um, that, you know, uh, he has seen Kendall and the, the Roy children get fucked over so many times, but he never sees Logan get fucked over, so he's gonna side with Logan. And that's the truth. That is the that was the hard truth at the end of season three. And so we pick up what seems to be a few months later. Logan is on a tear to complete the sale of ATN and kind of cash out. And what he's going to do is sort of similar to what Rupert Murdoch did in real life with Fox. He sold the entertainment business to Disney and kept the news business you know, he he kept the most corrosive, disgusting part of his brand, which was really on brand for Rupert Murdoch and would be for Logan Roy as well. It very much is to the spirit of the show, which was originally a fictionalized imagining of the Murdoch clan. Uh, and so that's his plan. And part of this is buying a, a rival news company, Pierce, which we've met in the past. It's uh, owned by Nan Pierce, played by Cherry Jones, who returns in, in the season four premiere. Uh, and so this is Logan's plan. He is on track to complete this purchase. And they don't give us a lot of filler to explain that. They just drop us back in and the sale is about to close. The negotiations are wrapping up and that is enough to get you caught up. Meanwhile... Diane, what are the kids up to in L.A.? The kids are still working together, uh, Connor aside, but does he really count as one of the Roy kids? No. Uh, But Kendall, Shiv, and Roman are working together on a new project called The Hundred, which they pitch as a combination of, what, it's The Economist meets The New Yorker. Meets Substack. Meets Substack, that's it. Mm Mm-hmm. There was a few more in uh there, I feel like. It was, it was, um, I cackled, I'm going to say. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely cackled. I felt a little called out. Yeah, they were reviewing logos for the 100, which all involved uh, various fonts with the letter H. If uh, the 100 really finds its footing, which the episode leads me to believe it won't, but you never know in in this world. Um, If the 100 finds its footing, we know... um, two podcasters who would be very happy to tackle the world of streaming and TV reviews for them. Absolutely. We would be honored to be two of the hundred, uh, which they bill as like the hundred experts or something like that. It, it is, it's just uh, vaguely reminiscent of like Puck News and Semaphore and the argument for a lot of those kind of small artisanal media companies that have launched. So it felt very on brand and of the moment. Uh, of course, it is also a total boondoggle that they're going to abandon because they find out over the phone that, uh, you know, Logan has not quite sealed the deal to buy Pierce because Nan Pierce doesn't like Logan. And so they see an, an opening to basically abandon this thing they've been working on and take their money and instead try to make a bid uh, to outbid Logan for Pierce. And what I loved about this pilot is that at the end of the episode, the kids get a win. They beat Logan, and Logan is pissed off. But that also, you can tell, fuels Logan, that he is adrift without uh, an, a goal or an enemy or a target of his you know, uh, corporate energies. Uh, and so in the middle of the episode, when it seems like everything's going to go according to plan, Logan's kind of listless and taking his bodyguard out to the diner. And once the kids outbid him, he's calling his war room together. He's, you know, classic Logan back in action. Yeah. I also love that what you were saying earlier about Tom and, you know, someone finally fucking over Logan Roy, Tom basically does here. He does it in a a veiled way. He gives Shiv a call and says that there may be, you know, some news in on TMZ or something, uh, day moi that, uh, (laughs) that he has been out with Naomi Pierce, who is Kendall's ex. And of course, Shiv, initially takes this news as, um, you know, she's hurt because she uh, 
is still sort of trying to make their marriage work, question mark. <laughs> but, um, you know, they quickly realize that means that the, the Pierces and Roy's are in bed together. And that's what tips them off about the deal and gives them the opening to swoop in and take it. Though it's not exactly a victory for them because they end up spending probably a billion more dollars than they needed to. Maybe even two billion two more billion. dollars than they <laughs> needed to. They they wind up bidding ten billion dollars while we, the audience, know that Logan is trying to lowball and only bidding six. Uh, and that they could easily win it with eight or nine. But they, in a great scene, talk about just the power of ten. And and I thought the payoff on that was so good, because once Logan's team gets the word that there's uh, n- no more negotiating, that they've been, that uh, Nan Pierce has gotten a definitive offer, one of them goes, ten, it sounds like ten, it feels like ten. And there there is something, they overpay, but the overpay also resonates in a in a really powerful way. So they both lose and they win, which is really delicious, and only you, the viewer, get to appreciate both sides of it, which is what this show does so well. Agreed, agreed. Uh, it also, that whole exchange made me cheer a bit for Logan Roy, <laughs> uh, because he's smarter at this than they are. Yeah, yeah. You and know, they, they he are... was going to get it for like 6-5. You just know it. Yeah, they screwed up what was going to be his amazing deal. He was going to close the deal of his lifetime, getting this brand that he really wanted, basically getting a win over his personal enemy, Nan Pierce, uh, and, you know, cashing out of the business he doesn't want to be in anymore to focus on the business he does, which is, you know, cranky old man at night news, which we get to see in a beautiful scene where he's the cranky old man at night watching cable news. But that's that is what he wants. That is his end game. Uh, and and it is it's hard not to feel a little bit for him when they mess it up, right? Right, and it's also hard not to think that they're kind of incompetent. Well, it's it's very easy to find them incompetent in this episode because the hundred is laughable. It is the the show really tiptoeing up to the the maximum humor line uh, in a way that reminds me of like you know Kendall's birthday party last season in Too Much Birthday that's just over the top in a way that you know some people are watching it and go I've been to a party like that. Or I've seen a pitch deck like that, but it also feels of a world of veep. Agreed. Agreed. It, it toes that line in a really interesting way, which complicates my predictions for the show, because I'm not exactly sure what structure this show has. It has a defined one that is successions, right? But it is so much a comedy, structurally even though it's also a tragedy structurally. And and I act, I don't think it's soapy. I think that um like in its in its character beats. I think it deals with big topics like a soap, like, you know, life and death stakes are here. But I I, I think the way that it operates is either like grand tragedy or like a problem comedy. And so I don't know what to expect from it. I don't either, which is why I thought it would be a lot of fun if we played one of our favorite games. TV Tarot. That's the game where we just predict what we think is going to happen later this season. Uh, And and so I have a list of predictions here. Uh, Some of them, yes or no. Some of them, you've got to give me a name. Uh, Let's see what we come up with. Okay, Diane? A beginning with our favorite Roy Child, Connor. And my number one question after the premiere... Does Connor keep his 1% in the presidential race? I, um, as a con head, I'm going to say that Connor surpasses his expectations and has to deal with that. So I think Connor's going to get the one. I'm going to uh, go contrarian here and say Connor's going to get 0.9. And, and the argument's going to be it rounds up, but no, he's not going to take that. Uh, speaking of Connor, is he really going to get married? I won't I won't go as detailed as is he really going to get married in front of the Statue of Liberty because God willing, yes, please. Two of our three previous seasons have ended with a marriage, which is also a classic comedy structure. <laughs> so I think that they will get married and it will be a very unhappy wedding. Yeah, I think the the wedding will happen. I guess we could split hairs on whether or not they uh, actually get married at the wedding. But let's go with the wedding will happen. 
I don't think there's ever much consummation on Succession. No. It's just all failed sexual <laughs> attempts, um, rummaging, one might say. A lot of so rummaging. I think I can't guarantee that there'll be a, a consummated marriage, but I think the wedding will happen. Uh, speaking of rummaging and uh, difficulty consummating marriages, Shiv and Tom, do you think the divorce is really going to happen or are they going to get back together? Uh, don't think I think that maybe both like they'll continue mm-hmm. to move toward a separation and also that they will continue to be uh, romantically and sexually involved in a way that is mean Mean, mean. That that part I can agree with, yes. I'll say they're going to continue to be mean. I think the divorce will technically go through, but I agree. I don't think it will uh, figuratively go through. Uh, speaking of figurative couples, my favorite ship on the show, Roman and Jerry. Are they going to reunite this season? Uh, I think that there will be, there has to be a Roman and Jerry beat where they acknowledge mm-hmm. what's happened. Again, I I think that they might um, come together as supportive of one another in a loving slime puppy way. But I do not think that they will, there will be any sort of um, relationship or, or sexual congress. I'm I'm going to have to just ship it and say they're going to reunite. It's going to be beautiful. And there are going to be many wonderful slime puppy dick pics in her future. That That is likely. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, that leaves us one more uh, Roy Child to check in on. That would be Kendall. Kendall, of course, uh, revealed in the season three finale, revealed to his siblings that he did, you know, sort of kill a guy back at the end of season one. Uh, and that that has been looming over Kendall and his many breakdowns all this time. Uh, do we think that that is finally going to come back to haunt him in a permanent and public way? Or will have we seen the last of that? I'm not sure it'll become public. I did uh, recall that... Uh, Marsha's son, Amir, knows about this incident. Mm. I, I, I think it's coming back. I think it's coming back and it will uh, either um, affect his behind-the-scenes behavior so that he can work to keep it private. Um, I, I don't think that they've ended this storyline. I think you're probably right, but I'm going to go contrarian and say we're wrapping up the show. We don't have time for that. We're going to let it sit in the past. Uh, but I, I suspect you're correct that they are, that's a Chekhov's gun situation right there. Uh, but speaking of perhaps things that could die or kill you, Logan Roy, he could die or he could kill you. But let's focus on the question of does Logan Roy die before the end of the series called Succession? No. I agree, no. The show does not end with Logan Roy gasping for air, fade to black. Mm-mm. They pivoted from the King Lear thing. Yes, they did. They pivoted hard from the King Lear thing. And and honestly, the show is better for it. The King Lear thing was probably uh, off-putting to me at the beginning of the show. I disagree, but that's okay. I think that he may um, uh, abdicate power, but I do not think that he will die. And I think that even if he does abdicate power, this is getting a bit into our next question, that he will still in some nominal way be in charge, perhaps. Oh, I don't know. I'm kind of torn. I'm kind of torn on this one. Yep. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. We're not at that final question yet because I have one more death-related question. Oh, yeah. If Logan doesn't die, does someone else from the main cast die? Oh, from the main cast? From from the the, uh, named title card cast of any season, which is a large cast. Okay. Because I could see someone like Naomi Pierce dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, would she count? I don't. I, I. She might be more of a guest star situation. Is she in the opening situation? credits? Is she in the opening credits? That's my. That's my line there. So you're gonna have to do that research for me. Okay. One sec. One sec. <laughs> one sec. I don't think she is. I'm gonna say no. no. I'm gonna go with a no as well. Death does not seem on topic for this show. But I. I do think that, at least proverbially, Kendall will kill again. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Will Kendall kill again? Yes, proverbially. Uh, Well, this gets to our final question, then. The main question. Who winds up in charge at the end of Succession? Who succeeds in Succession? You gotta give me a name. I think that we have, like, a Fortinbras situation, so I think it might be uh, the Alexander Skarsgård's character. Skarsgård. All right. I am going to say Cousin Greg. That would be funny. 
It would be exactly. Is this show a comedy? It, it, it That would work if the show took a Veep route out. If you recall, spoiler alert for mm-hmm. Veep, the series that concluded years ago, uh, the the series ends with a time jump to uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character's funeral, where we discover who became president after her, which fulfills the show's uh, needed goal of making Sam Richardson president before the end of the series. So there is a way to cheat and have that happen. Yeah, I, I just don't. I think that it's not that much of a comedy. I would I, I would generally agree with you, but I am going to put my vote out there because uh, I want to manifest this into the world. Yeah, yeah. I think that part of this show is about um, dying empires and sort of the excess that you see in those moments. I think that's what it satirizes so beautifully. And so I think we've got like, you know, some Normans at the gate. I, I, I just think someone else is going to swoop in and, and crash the party. So it might not be Skarsgård or someone we've seen yet, but I I think someone outside the family will uh, gain control. Nan Pierce. Well, no. No, no. (laughs) The legacy brand bites back. That's the real twist at the end. Someone gross and techie? (laughs) I I think, you know. Yeah, that does feel right. That does feel right. Uh, Well, you know. If any of these predictions come to pass, we will discuss them here on TV Tarot. And of course, we'll continue to share our feelings about season four, the final season of Succession. It is on HBO and HBO Max right now. And if you are watching, send us your thoughts. You can email us podcast at streamageddon.com. But for now, we have to get back to uh, counting down the minutes, the hours and the minutes until the Roys return on our televisions because you can never have too much Succession. Did you did you also watch the opening credits like four times to try to pick out every small change they made to the opening credit sequence? No, were there new Chirons? There are fewer Chirons, which used to be a place oh. where they would insert some good jokes, and now not so many good jokes. We do get to see the Stargo app though. And the Stargo app kind of looks like HBO Go used to look back in the day. So I can see why people make fun of the Stargo app. It looks pretty dated. Yikes. Tough tough. Well, you know, if the Stargo app uh, releases an exciting new update, we'll report about it here on Streamageddon. I thought we could ask if uh, Skarsgård pees on anything else this season, but I decided to let it go. <laughs> I, I think he will. I think I think that's just a no-brainer. Why wouldn't you? 